Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to a podcast from 702 and Cape Talk. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. Good morning, Naked Scientist. Well, good morning. I just, uh, my name is Slicker, and um, obviously, you know, I'm sitting in for reading. But I was just asked if my real name is Slicker, so I want to ask, are you naked while you're presenting this? Because people ask me questions, i got to ask too. What would you like me to say? Well, um, I hope you dressed. What do you think will give us the biggest audience? Say that you're naked and you're about to Skype us. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, you said it. <laughs> Naked scientists, what's going on? What's 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 the, what's this new clock that you that you that you that you've discovered out there in the world of discovery? Well, I learned a lot this week about how we define time hmm. because the second, which is the thing you see ticking away on your watch or on your clock or on your clock radio, the second only has existed in its present form since 1967. And that's when the atomic clock took over as the definition of the second. Mm. And now scientists in Germany say they've come up with an even better way of keeping time, which means within the next decade or so, we may redefine what the second is. Now, this is a paper, it's in the journal Optica this week. It's by a German scientist called Christian Grabing. And he's actually at the National Metrology Institute in Germany. And what he and his colleagues have done is to produce what they say is a clock which is so accurate that if you'd started it ticking when the universe first began to exist about 14 billion years ago, it would be only a couple of minutes out by today's time, which is pretty accurate, isn't it? And the way they say that they're doing this is that uh, they have got some strontium atoms which they are holding in a lattice pattern created by a laser beam. And so if you create a lattice pattern with the laser, then where there are gaps in the lattice, there are areas of low energy and atoms will plop into those gaps and sit there. And you can, with them clamped in that way, you can then excite them with a different source of light and you make them resonate or shake about and it's a bit like an atomic scale pendulum and this pendulum though resonates a hundred thousand times faster than the present pendular which you'll find in a cesium clock and that's why they think it's going to be a lot more accurate in fact probably five times more accurate than our present cesium clocks that we have to keep time by and this is important when you extrapolate things to the scale of global positioning satellite systems and things like that because the distances involved mean that every second or even every nanosecond does indeed count so we could have seen the birth of the second in its future form this week Wow. Wow, that's crazy. Um, well, I don't know how that affects African time, but that's really interesting. I'm going to ask a question. Andre is asking a question. Can I, can, I, can I set you up with the questions? You ready for that? Please yeah, do. you go for it. All right. Andre, how are you doing? Good, good, thanks. Morning, Doc. We have spoken previously. My question to you is the following. Um, I posed this question to you some time ago. What and why... What causes and why do you have black rings under the bottom of your eyes or under your eye, you know, your, the bottom eye um, lid for what it's called, for whatever it may be called? Um, and subsequent to our discussion, 
Um, a dermatologist has put me um, on a course of use utilizing hydroquinone with a carrying barrier, which is not having any effect at all. So I want to know what effect the hydroquinone has on the melanocytes. And if that is not the case, why the black rings under one's eyes? I'll listen on the radio unless you want to ask me a question. Hi, Andre. Well, do you know, I was at a conference last week. I told everyone I was at this um, British Medical Laser Association conference, and I well, spoke to a the GP radio. there who's, the who's using um, lasers. And he, he uses lasers for aesthetic purposes on his patients for various skin blemishes. And he tries these things on himself, and he had some, some dark pigmentation under his eyes. This appears to be a phenomenon which becomes worse with age. It may also be exacerbated by lack of sleep because you also get swelling of the tissue because you literally get bags under your eyes. And he showed me some pictures where he has used uh, laser exposure, both red and blue light, to the underneath of his eyes, and the pigmentation was significantly improved. Now, I asked him, well, how does that actually work? And, in fact, people don't really know. They have various theories about see, the fact that you can stimulate the production of new collagen because you do a little bit of damage with the laser deep in the skin, and this stimulates, through the release of growth factors, the proliferation of cells and the production of products from those cells, including collagens and, and elastin fibres, which help to regenerate plump up the skin why it should lead to the the reduction in pigmentation though unless it's purely through the destruction of melanin producing cells i don't think i know um and i think people don't know for sure but i don't know why your dermatologist has put you on that agent because i, I don't know enough about how that agent works in the context of skin pigmentation either so if someone does know someone dermatologically inclined could let me know i'd be grateful i thank you Doc, they said that you do have the answers. Wow, you really do have the answers. Um, we've got Steve on the line from Cape Town. Steve, speak to the doc. Hi, um, my question has actually three parts to it. With the shortage of food today in the world, I notice on the beaches that there's often lots and lots of seaweed that's washed onto the beach, and I'm wondering why we can't convert that seaweed into food. The second question is, with so many animals being slaughtered every day, why can't they convert the blood that's spilt into some kind of powder, some kind of food product? And the third part of my question, with the shortage of blood for humans, is there no way that they can use animal blood uh, for humans? Because I know that when you give blood, they don't give the blood to the recipient. They break it into the different components why can't they do the same with animal blood? Hi, Steve. Well, first of all, let's take the seaweed question. And the answer is that we do use seaweed for food, uh, in some cases directly for feeding humans, in other cases for feeding animals, and in further cases still for food indirectly because that seaweed contains enormous numbers of minerals and it can be put onto land as a way of fertilising land under certain circumstances. You have to be careful you don't make the land too salty. But there are certain uses for seaweed and seaweed-type products in that way. In terms of blood from animals, the blood from slaughtered animals is collected. It is used. It's turned into things like black pudding, which is where you congeal the blood and then you fry it and you have a black pudding. And this is very popular in many countries, but it's also used in a range of different ways. And in terms of the blood shortage for humans, 
the, the reason that we, when we take blood out of a person, we screen the blood is not just for infection, although that's very important too for viruses like HIV and hepatitis B and C. We also screen the blood because humans have blood groups and blood groups are because the surfaces of red blood cells have sugar molecules on them which give them a characteristic profile chemically and the immune system recognises that and if you give the wrong chemical profile to the wrong person their immune system will pounce on the cells you've put in, stick them all together and it will make a fatal embolus a blockage in a blood vessel caused by all the cells sticking together. So it's very important to make sure we get blood transfusions to be compatible. Now, animal red blood cells, they also have blood groups. Dogs have a number of blood groups, sheep have a number of blood groups, cats have blood groups. Those sugar molecules are not the same as the blood groups you find in humans, which means that if you put those cells into a human, our immune system would almost instantly recognise those cells as hostile and foreign and they would pounce on them and stick them all together and you'd be in the same situation as if you gave a human an incompatible blood transfusion. So it's a good idea, it's been tried in the past and it usually ends badly. Thank you. We, we're going to run into an ad break and we'll be back with more for the dark. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. Back once again with the Naked Scientist. Scientist. Linda? Linda, are you there? Oh, we've lost you. Okay, cool. Amanda in in Milnerton. Hi. How are you doing? Um, I have a quick question about, um, you know those silica gel packets that come with uh, like vitamins and practically everything these days? Um, I know you can dry them out and reuse them again in the oven, but I wondered if you could dry them out in the microwave. Highland, I've never tried that actually. The, the way they work, silica gel, silica is effectively sand, and sand is very good at soaking up or drawing in moisture. And if you dry the sand out in any way you can, you can then put it in an environment where there is moisture and it will soak up moisture until the amount of moisture in the sand uh, exceeds the ability of the sand to soak up any more silica. Uh, whether or not it would respond nicely to being in the microwave, I don't know. I would think that because your porcelain and your plates and things are also made of silicates, it would probably be fine, but you shouldn't put it in there in the packet because the packet's probably plastic with holes in it and if you were to put the plastic in the microwave, that probably wouldn't end well. So silica gel on a plate, microwaved is probably fine, but the best way to do it is just dry it out in the oven at uh, 60 degrees or so to drive the water off and then you know you'll be okay. Okay. Great, thank you very much. Mervyn from Pretoria. Uh, good morning. Uh, my question for the Naked Scientist is, uh, natural healers uh, make use of ozone treatment. Um, would Dr. Chris Smith please give us uh, an opinion? Uh, is this valid or is this um, you know, uh, simply um, hope and think and wish? This is um, absolute bunkum. Ozone is a molecule called O3. It's three oxygen atoms stuck together. It's extremely poisonous and we use it to purify water because when we want to get the bacteria and other bugs out of water, we blow, the water, we blow ozone through the water and it reactively pounces on things like bugs and it rips them to pieces by oxidising them. If you were to breathe this in, 
it is not good for you. It will do you harm. You should leave the ozone to take its rightful place high up in the atmosphere and screen out ultraviolet radiation and protect you from skin cancer. Ozone down at ground level is an industrial pollutant. It causes photochemical smog and it makes chest diseases and allergies much worse and it's nasty stuff. I wouldn't go near it. Okay. Um, Kevin from Fenderbilt Park. Hi, Chris. Hello, Chris. Hello. Go on, Kevin, we're listening. Hello, Chris. Hi. Um, I'd like to find out, um, when a person goes into a hospital for a blood transfusion or you've been in an accident, um, some of my Jehovah's Witnesses friends have told me that you get a plasma replacement instead of having a blood transfusion. Um, and when I've mentioned this to doctors or they, they told me that something like it doesn't exist, is that the case? Is there a, a replacement for blood transfusion? Hi, Kevin. The The reason that we give people a blood transfusion is because they have lost blood. Blood is two things. It is a watery-based substance called plasma, which makes up about half the volume of the blood, and it is also cells, which are predominantly red blood cells and some white blood cells. You need both. The plasma is the vehicle that carries the cells around and also carries antibodies and clotting factors that help your blood to congeal so that you don't bleed to death. The cells, predominantly the red blood cells, carry oxygen and this is because they carry haemoglobin, which is the red pigment containing iron which binds oxygen in the lungs and carts the oxygen off to your tissues where it releases or relinquishes the oxygen to the tissues that need it and then the red cells help various ways of, of getting carbon dioxide away from the tissues back to your lungs. If a person has a severe hemorrhage, they have lost circulating blood volume, the first thing doctors do is try to support the circulation by increasing the volume of, of blood that you do have because that keeps your blood pressure up, which you need to keep blood flowing through your blood vessels to keep your tissues at least supplied. So the first thing people do is to get fluids into people. The second thing they do is to say, well, they've lost blood. You need blood because if you just put liquid in, then if you haven't got any red blood cells there, you've limited the amount of oxygen that your blood can carry because the amount of oxygen your blood can carry is proportional to the number of cells you have. And if you don't have enough cells because you've diluted them all with loads of fluid, you're not going to get any oxygen to the tissues that need it, including your brain, your heart and the injury site that needs to repair. So the next thing you need to do is to top up the red blood cells with a blood transfusion. There is currently no substitute for transfusing blood cells apart from human blood cells. Scientists are working on making artificial blood. So, for instance, you could take some stem cells, you can persuade them in a culture dish to turn into blood cells, but at the moment this is in its infancy. It's nowhere near good enough or safe enough, not been tried and tested enough in order for us to replace blood transfusion with it. So we are dependent on people generously giving blood and giving safe blood, and that blood being then stored for a limited period of time before it can be used in people, and it saves lives. It's very important. Thank you. Now we're speaking to Charles. Charles, please speak to the scientist. Hello. 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 Uh, any further developments in uh, cataract surgery, Grant? Uh, oh, hi, Charles. Well, cataract surgery is probably the most commonly practised surgical intervention internationally across the whole world with the possible uh, exception of one or two other interventions it's up there in the top three i would think 
almost everybody develops some degree of cataract as they get older. What is a cataract? It's where the lens in your eye becomes foggy with age. And this is because the lens contains proteins which you have to make last a lifetime. And these proteins, because of the effects of, of lifestyle and ultraviolet radiation and so on, the proteins eventually start to break down a bit and they don't allow light to come through clearly. They make the light scatter and that's why you get this fogginess. Um, the way in which doctors currently treat the problem is that you make a small hole in the side of the eye, you go into the bag that contains the lens, you break up the fogged up, nasty hardened lens you draw it out and then you replace it with a lens prosthesis this is a plastic version of the lens which then restores the ability to see clearly in all light conditions and the full spectrum of colors and people go wow i didn't realize how bad my sight was before i had this done there are new ways people are exploring including eye drops that may be able to help um, scientists are exploring various chemicals that will reverse the um, breaking up and the fogginess of the lens uh, and stabilise the proteins that are in the lens. This is not mainstream yet, but it's certainly coming. Thank you. Um, next up, we have La La Lauren from Hope Bay. Lauren, you there? Hi, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, indeed. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. I have a perplexing question, and I hope that you can give me an answer to it. My brother um, has had suffering from a gallbladder issue where he has to have it removed now. We have, you know, it's gone to the pancreas and valerian levels are out of control. The problem is that he has a heart condition. And the doctors told him that whether he goes off his beta blockers or not, if he goes under general anesthetic, he has a 50-50 chance of survival. Now, they are saying that there's no other way to do it. There must be an alternative to keeping him still on that table without putting him under, under, under any general anaesthetic. Can you help? Well, I'm, I'm not an expert on, on this because um, I'm not a surgeon, but uh, I'm, nor am I an anaesthetist. But what I will say is if a lady can give birth painlessly via cesarean section using a spinal anaesthesia, it might be possible to do a gallbladder operation the same way. I've not looked into this, so I've no idea whether that's possible. But, uh, you know, you're cutting through very similar parts of the anatomy until you get inside. And um, the operation is quite significant when you have a caesarean. And spinal anaesthesia is where you put a needle into the spinal um, column and you instill a material around the spine which temporarily deactivates the sensory nerve fibers coming in from the spinal cord and this means that the people that the person then becomes paralyzed and unable to feel below the level at which you put the drug in i wonder if the same thing might be possible for doing a gallbladder operation i don't know the answer but it might be something to ask we'd need to check sipo from spring hello sipo you lie yes 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 yes, yes. hello Sipo, you live? Yeah, yes. Sorry, I'm running complex this weekend. I uh, just wanted to f find out about anti-inflammatories. Uh, they say it's a no-no to take an anti-inflammatory, but can I use the patch ones? Um, what did you say you're doing this weekend? Running complex. Okay, so why would you want to take the anti-inflammatory? Is this because you are currently suffering some kind of injury that, that you're worried yeah, will get worse some, before you some, go and exercise? Some, yeah, there's some pain on my calf. 
Yeah. You, you have to be really careful if you exercise with an injury because the reason your body hurts is it's trying to tell you something. So you should be careful. Yep. Um, if, if, you, if you run on an injury, then you've a high likelihood of making it much worse. But the people say you shouldn't take anti-inflammatories before you do exercise because they, ma they may mask an injury. You should, you should make sure you take care. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is that these things uh, can have side effects and the side effects include irritating your stomach. They can affect the way your kidneys work and they can also make the the blood uh, more prone to bleeding you you interrupt your clotting so if you take a lot of repetitive shocks onto things you're more likely to bruise or get bleeding into joints and things like that if you've taken a lot of anti-inflammatories so you ought to be careful and perhaps if you have got some pain somewhere that's a chronic pain perhaps go and see a sports exercise and either a physio person or a doctor to just check that everything's okay before you go and run or on and, and potentially exacerbate an injury Naked scientist, you are the man. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. Great. I need to get your personal number so I can call you about my scientific. Well, you can email me. So you can write to chris at thenakedscientist.com or you tweet at Naked Scientist and I'll get back to you. Okay. You're about and that goes for anyone else out there as well, of course.